Good evening. Welcome to Broadway and welcome to Monday Thursday. On this night each year, we gather to not just remember the final hours of Jesus's life, but to actually, in a very real way, step into the story and re-experience these events with him. Tonight, we will gather at the table with Jesus and his disciples, feasting with them on the bread and the drink that Jesus will say is his body and his blood. We will overhear Jesus foretelling his betrayal. We will follow him to the garden where he will wrestle with what lays before him. And finally, we will stand at the foot of the cross and witness Jesus's agonizing death. The goal is for each of us to feel as if we ourselves have made the journey from the upper room to Golgotha. And so as we prepare to enter into this sacred time with Jesus and with one another, would you pray with me, please? Jesus, we are so grateful that you invite us to join you at your table and to follow in your footsteps. Whether we feel worthy or not, we are all welcome. We are all served at your table. We are all loved by you, no exceptions. May we be overwhelmed by the warmth of your radical hospitality and transformed by the humility of your selfless sacrifice as we journey with you in these next moments, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing together, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's worship together.
seated now as we hear the reading of Scripture. Hear the scripture which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 20 through 25, as Jesus eats at the table with his disciples and identifies his betrayer. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were all very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas the one who would betray him said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so.
as you heard Joe mention, tonight we will celebrate the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. So if you would join me now in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company in heaven, we praise your name and join in their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by the water and the spirit. On the night that he, was, that he gave himself up for us, he took bread He gave thanks to you. He broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us and as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Would you pray with me? God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast in his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Tonight we will, we will receive communion by intinction. And for, that, for us, that means as you come forward tonight, if you would, hold out your hands like this. Our servers will place a piece of bread into your hands. And then you dip the bread into the cup and receive the communion. We've also, on your left over here, we'll have gluten-free elements. If you need those as well, please join us over there as well. I want you to know, this table is for everyone in this room. No exceptions. We want you to know that this is the table of Christ and you are welcome at all times. So as we come tonight, come receive and enjoy.
the voice of love that's calling There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands Everything you're going through You keep standing at a distance In the shadows of your shame There's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place Bring it all to the table Nothing he ain't seen before. All your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness. The Savior and He calls. Bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you care. cross even forgiven you're accepted as you are so bring it all to the table there's nothing he ain't seen before all your trials all your worries and your burdens is the same Walking sadly blind 
Jesus Christ, on the night before you suffered, you showed your disciples the extent of your love. You gave them the sacrament of forgiveness and remembrance, and you promised them that you would drink it again with them in your Father's kingdom. As we have taken of this sacrament, show us your love and your words of invitation. Restore our joy in the forgiveness you have won by your death and resurrection and give us hope in the promise you have given of a feast to come. In this sacrament, live and rule in us, even as you live and rule with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Would you sing with me, Jesus, remember me?
the scripture comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 39, as Jesus prays in the garden. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell to his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will.
it was about this time on Thursday evening, which marked the first of the series of events that we recount this evening in the last moments of Jesus' life. Within just a matter of hours, he is betrayed by one friend and denounced by another, arrested, tried, convicted, and executed. And the, the first three Gospels get us through the events of, 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 of the end of the life of Jesus. And then John's Gospel, which we, we've been in throughout Lent, sort of, sort of stops time. In a, in a sense, uh, it sort of floats over the events of the arrest and tr- trial and conviction and flogging and execution of Jesus. And certainly in the Last Supper, John, the beloved disciple, helps us see Jesus. He has a very specific purpose in telling the up-close, personal, intimate story of Jesus. Each of the Gospels had their own point of view. Matthew wants us to see the connection between Jesus and the promise of God's people Israel. And Luke wants us to get a detailed account of Jesus and his care for the poor and marginalized. John simply wants us to know the Jesus that he knew. He wants Jesus to pull us up close to him and for us to not only hear what Jesus is saying, but for us to feel it. To look Jesus in the eye. And know this story is about us. John, in this sense, more than any of the other gospel writers, helps us feel like we are in the story. And nowhere is this more true than in the farewell speech of Jesus to his friends in the Last Supper with his disciples. Everything about this evening was up close, personal, including and maybe most especially the promise of God's power to be with them and God's presence that will go with them through even the darkest of moments. As you gather tonight, and as I was preparing, I got to thinking about what it's like to walk through the darkest of moments. We could each have a little story to tell about that, couldn't we? We, in some way or another, individually and communally, have walked that path too. And more than just knowing the events that we recount tonight, more than just telling the story, as important as that is, I think maybe now more than ever, it's important for Jesus to pull us up close and for us to feel what he has to say to us. And so at dusk, not unlike this moment tonight on Thursday, as the sun began, just began to set, Jesus gathered around the table with his closest friends, just as we have done tonight. They had gathered to celebrate the ancient story of their salvation, their Passover meal that reenacted the story of how God had saved them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. It was a detailed remembrance, a recounting of and living into that story so that they would never forget God's faithfulness to them, so that they would feel it, to bring that story into the present. Even today, the Passover meal is celebrated in homes, mostly. It is intended to be personal, intimate, time with friends and family around the table to remember that God is at work to save us in the most intimate and ordinary of ways. Is it any coincidence that Jesus chose this same moment up close and personal at the table of salvation? The other Gospels recount how Jesus transformed the elements of the Passover meal into sacraments of a new covenant through the bread, through the cup, his body, his blood. John doesn't focus on communion. I think Pastor Laura joked in a sermon early in Lent that there was actually one time, maybe 14 or 15 years ago, when uh, we had this service and forgot to bring the communion elements. We, we actually, somebody was supposed to do it and somebody didn't show up. I don't know what the details were, but we didn't have the bread. We didn't have the cup. And uh, she had to, sort of, we, somebody went and got it. And just as we prayed right before communion, she walked up and we processed the elements in like we had planned it the whole time. John would not have cared. He doesn't even mention communion. 
Instead, he tells how Jesus took some other ordinary elements and transformed them into sacraments. The towel and the basin, they become the experience of the serving Christ. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Eugene Peterson, sort of the, the sort of pastor of pastors, in, in, is known in, in pastoral circles, uh, said that this is the role of a pastor, in fact. And it actually, I think, applies to the role of being a Christian. He said, this is not a very glamorous job. It's a kind of take out the laundry and change the diapers sort of job. It applies not just to pastoring, it applies to Christianing, it applies to following Jesus. It is easy to fall into the trap of thinking that our Christian influence comes through doing upfront jobs, being visible, claiming our authority, striving for relevance and building popularity. But tonight reminds us that the greatest influence that we have in the world involves doing the job joyfully that no one else wants to do being the servants of our society, doing the grunt work, the dirty job, the messy work of incarnation, just as Jesus did, being present when it is painful, gladly and joyfully and willingly doing what others complain about, what others avoid. Love washes feet. The gospel, the promises of God make no sense if we're not scrubbing toes if it is hypothetical safe and at a distance washing his disciples feet was symbolic it was also consistent with everything else that jesus did and said in these last precious moments just moments before his arrest and full in full awareness of how he would betrayed be betrayed and disowned we watch jesus use those last precious moments to pull his disciples close the ones that he's just told. Some of the hardest truths they would hear. But there's no anger. There's only tender, loving kindness to prepare his friends for what is to come, to sear his promises onto their hearts and so that they would not ultimately lose hope. I wonder how we might find ourselves in this part of the story, looking at who we are and knowing ourselves and telling the truth about ourselves and hearing hard truths about our lives and about our world. Jesus pulls those very humble and human friends up close and he begins to drop promises on them. These promises of Jesus don't make sense if, if it's done from a distance. It only makes sense in the tenderness and the sweetness and the intimacy of this moment. In, in the shortness and quickening of breath of all that is about to, to happen. With the cross just barely out of view. Jesus tells them some things. He tells them that this cross will seem like a tool of execution, but in Christ. In God's work in him, it will be the path to salvation. He says, but when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Understanding that they and we can feel abandoned by God in our darkest moments, Jesus says to them words that we have continued to use in our darkest moments since. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. A little later, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Much of what Jesus promises those disciples and us in those precious moments is about the promise of presence. 
when it seems like there is only absence. He says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Jesus, in moments of weakness and humility, promises also power and possibility through their ongoing connection to him. I am a vine, you are branches, he says. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. It's going to feel like they have been cut off from that vine, from that source. But Jesus is telling them and probably telling us to dig deep. To move past what we feel. And to discover God's unwavering presence in our darkest moments. He says and continues, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is preparing them and us for hardship and tells them and us what to expect. Speaking some of the most honest and yet encouraging words of all scripture. In John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. For I have overcome the world. Tonight we share in the same meal. We remember these same events and we share in the same promises. Trusting God's unwavering presence to us. I'm guessing there's been a time in the last year, in the last day, in the last two, two years, fill in the blank. When it has felt like God has been absent. When it has felt like these promises are hollow. Tonight we hear them again to remind us and to sustain us as we walk through the events of Good Friday. That's how those original promises were delivered, right before all of the events of the Passion. These promise, promises sustain us as we walk through Good Friday and as we live in the same world where death seems to reign. Trusting that it may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. Tonight we cling to these promises even as we reenact the dark realities that led our beloved Savior to the cross. And as we acknowledge our role in those realities in an ongoing way. Through our actions. Through our words through our lack of compassion, through our lack of awareness, through our lack of faith. We recognize the sin and the brokenness in our own lives and the darkness that we are about to walk into symbolizes that. It reminds us that the only way to resurrection is through the cross. The only way through our, to our own Redemption is through the sin and brokenness in our lives. We tonight acknowledge that human reality that much of our lives and a good portion of our time is spent not feeling like God is present. That feeling like God is anywhere but near. Feeling like we are completely alone. The darkness that we're about to walk into symbolizes that and reminds us that though it feels this way intensely, it's not true. We, with the best of intentions, also find ourselves mired in the same confusion and chaos of these disciples. And in a sense, that gives us hope, reminds us that we're not alone. But in all of this, as we walk into this darkness together, we are reminded that we are also recipients of the promises of Jesus. We are not orphaned. We have the gift of God's presence, the spirit of truth. We, if we will remain connected to the vine, will bear much fruit. And so the rest of our time this evening is spent walking into that darkness, into the reality we all experience. 
and doing so up close and personal with Jesus, feeling deeply the truth that he prepared us for, feeling deeply that, yes, in this world, we will have trouble. But, of course, all of this is so that we can also feel deeply the second half of the truth. And we are preparing for that as well, that we, too, can take heart, for he's about to overcome the world. of Jesus's crucifixion and death. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest of, of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Darkness. Darkness is what the Gospel of Matthew says came over the land as Jesus, the light of the world, breathed his final breath. It seemed that darkness had triumphed in that moment as pain Suffering, evil, and death appeared to snuff out the bright hope that had dawned in Jesus. In just a moment, we will experience together a special service that dates back to the Middle Ages that is designed to guide us to relive the tragedy of this moment and also to give us a small taste of the darkness of our world without Jesus in it. Each of the items here on the altar um, that represent Jesus will be removed and processed out of the room. And as each of these items are removed, the room will grow dimmer and dimmer. As the choir sings for us, may we allow ourselves to sit in the sorrow of the dark death of Jesus so that we might find ourselves longing for the light of resurrection.
as we close our time together tonight, the Christ candle will be processed out of the sanctuary, leaving us in the deep darkness of Jesus' death. Then on Sunday, the Christ candle will be ushered back in as we gather rejoicing in the resurrection, celebrating Jesus' decisive victory over death itself. But tonight we acknowledge that we aren't to Sunday yet. And so we ask that you go in solemn silence, mourning the sacrifice of Jesus. Between now and Sunday, we are invited to pay our respects at Jesus' grave where his bruised and broken body lay for three three days. Until we are together again, may Jesus Christ, who for our sakes was obedient unto death, even death on the cross, may he sustain us with his promises and fill us with hope. Amen.